me, I'm Michelle. And I'm Dana Marie, and we are Empowered to Advocate. Our goal is to help parents and caregivers uh, navigate the often confusing special education process so that they can become the best advocates for their children. Tune in every Friday for your tip, tool, or strategy that can be implemented right away so you feel confident and empowered to be the best advocate for your child. It's Michelle and Dana Marie from Empowered to Advocate, and we are back for part four of our five-part series on the importance, the power of student voice in the IEP process, in the education process. Um, we are today, we've already focused on 14 to 22 year olds and our middle school friends. And today we're going to really think about our friends who are pre-K, kindergarten through fourth grade. So our little friends, um, which is really exciting. So um, here we go. <laughs> here we go. And I think last time we had talked about, just to kind of get us started, we had talked about how in, in our conversation about middle schoolers, how that's sometimes the lost grades, those middle school grades, mm -hmm. and that we actually do a decent job. So I want to say up front, we, we typically in our experience have seen that we do a decent job of including younger kids, little kids in understanding their disability, understanding other people's abilities and disabilities, understanding differences um, through read-alouds, through different characters and books or on shows and things like that. So we have a pretty good baseline, a yeah. pretty good starting point with little kids because we do open up those conversations in different ways than we might open up those conversations in like middle school or mm. in, in high school. So even though today we're talking specifically about how to include them in their special education process and the IEP process, know that we see people all the time, teachers and school teams and parents and caregivers having conversations with three-year-olds, four-year-olds, five-year-olds about differences, abilities, their own disability even maybe um, as a starting point. And that's a great great starting point. So I guess, Michelle, the next thing that I would want to know, and I'm, our next question or my next question would be, when it does come time, though, for an actual IEP meeting or getting ready, a school team or parents getting ready for an IEP team meeting, how can we include those littlest of students who might not be able to do some of the things that we've, we've given recommendations for our middle school and high school students? So I think it's, you know, we have like second, third, and fourth graders, and then we have preschool, kindergarten, first graders, and like first and second grade kind of overlap a little bit in this mindset. But a style that works really well for this is almost a very casual like interview style, and it doesn't have to be a, all right, Dana Marie, we're going to sit down now, and I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions about your IEP. It's more of a, you see the child um, during choice time or out on the playground. And you might just ask them like, Hey, um, what do you want to do when you grow up? 
we start asking kids that question like (laughs) when they're so young, right? So there really isn't anything silly or ridiculous about this and just getting an idea. And they might tell you they want to do five different things. Those five different things can be put into the IEP, right? Um, And kids know more about themselves than we give them credit Mm. for. They absolutely do. Um, Asking them, what's your favorite thing to do in school? What's your favorite school lunch? What do you like? uh, What do you do after school? Do you, kids are playing sports. Kids are um, playing musical instruments. They're doing dance class. They're doing swim class. They have favorite TV shows when they're young. And one of the things um, that you see kids doing, even in kindergarten, Um, probably even in pre-K is those all about me posters. And there's usually a student that's highlighted every week. And Mm -hmm. so you can even do something like that with a student before their meeting or just as part of the general curriculum. And then that's going to give you a lot of information to bring to the team meeting. Um, And it doesn't necessarily have to be this like very rigid, very, when they're 14 to 22, right? And we're developing that really formal transition planning form. This doesn't have to be so formal um, and can be even just fun to gain their insight here. Yeah. And I think that whether you are a parent or a caregiver listening, or you're somebody who works in a school, maybe you're a teacher or a special education liaison, you can also just observe what the child is doing in your classroom or at home, or like Michelle said, in the lunchroom on the playground. And that can be a really good starting point. Hey, I noticed that you like to play with Legos. It's your favorite toy that you pick out every single day. Um, Why do you like to play with Legos? Mm -hmm. Maybe it's, you know, oh, I noticed that you love when we go to music class. You don't really love when we go to gym, but you love when we go to music. Is there an instrument that you want to play when you get older? You know, are you interested in music? Things like that. So just really being aware and observing that child in their setting, which you're doing all the time anyways, but in the kind of a way that you're making a mental list or even making a a physical written list of things that you notice about what they gravitate toward, what their interests are, what are the things Mm. that they go for quickly? What are the subject areas that they get the most excited about, right? As early as pre-K and kindergarten, we see some students get more excited about reading and letters and, you know, things like that. But other kids might get excited about more hands-on experiments or science or things like that. So, Really just being aware and taking note, observing those things is a great place for either Mm -hmm. a parent or a teacher to start when thinking about developing that IEP at that really early age. And another thing to make note of is when um, you are reading, doing a read aloud or anything like that, making note of when a particular student seems to really feel engaged with a particular book or subject area or um, always gets the same book or talks about the same movie or anything like that. Um, those are all things to make note of and include in the IEP as interests and things that they like to do. Yeah, for sure. And we mentioned this at the beginning and we mentioned it last episode as well, but like Michelle just said, a read aloud 
during a class or even at home is a really great place to start. And it's like I said, things that you're already doing. If you're reading, I could think of some of my uh, favorite children's books, um, Ada Twist, Scientist, Iggy Peck, Architect. Those are great books that just come to the top of my head that talk about what children want to do in the future and what they maybe want to do for a career or for a job in the future. And so using something like that, that is specifically talking about goal setting and what you need to do in order to become an architect or in order to become Mm -hmm. a scientist when you're older and using that as a jumping off start, like Michelle said, for a sort of a casual conversation, not a formal conversation. You're not necessarily going through a checklist or an inventory, but would you want to do that when you get older? You know, why do you think she wants to be a scientist? Why do you think they want to be a, a politician, a, a doctor, whatever the case may be? And having that as sort of a, an opening to a conversation. Mm-hmm. And if a child is in preschool or kindergarten or first grade and as late as juniors and seniors, who I worked with for many, many years, they're going to change their mind. And that's mm-hmm. not the point at all. Um, it's not that they have to be committed to whatever at three years old or four years old they decide they want to do when they get older. But a lot of times it can tell us, it can give us a little bit of information, at least about what they care about and what their interests are and what activities they like to do. Whether or not it's their career path for the rest of time, you know, who knows, but it gives us some insight and it definitely gives us some information um, and a place to start. And I think that this is also a good place to have conversations with students about perseverance and Mm -hmm. like working on that kind of growth mindset with them, because it's not unusual to see students, um, even as young as kindergarten, first grade, feel a certain way about themselves or about a subject area when they're not good at it, like right away. Um, Kind of that perfectionist mindset that I think a lot of us still carry with us um, because of certain societal and educational norms that are Mm -hmm. in particularly American schools, American Mm -hmm. public schools, where you need to sit for a certain period of time and like you need to be able to write out your thoughts or you need, you know, expand on your ideas in writing or uh, where other Mm. types of learners may learn and express their learning in different ways that is not always recognized or given credit in the same way for whatever reason in the school systems. Um, So, being able to have a conversation with students developmentally appropriately for their age on, you know, I see that you feel upset when you aren't able to do this. When, mm-hmm. what could mm-hmm. you do differently to feel more successful or to be able to show what, you know, what would be helpful for you to do this differently or do this quote unquote better. Right. Okay. And just having that conversation with them, And I think it's actually super important to have this conversation about perseverance and growth mindset with students as young as possible, knowing that there isn't only one way of doing things, that oftentimes there are multiple ways of showing what you know, and having that conversation with them that um, 
you just learn in a little bit of a different way. And this is how we're going to work on those skills that maybe are more difficult for you. But we know that you're really good at this. So we're going to use what you're really good at to help bring these other skills that maybe you need a little bit of support with up um, so that everybody can see and know what you know. Which is the whole (laughs) point of having these individualized education programs, right? It's the whole point of an IEP for children with disabilities who require specialized instruction in any area or in multiple areas, right? This is why we bring this team together in the first place to have these conversations, to make a plan, to set some goals for the future, for the current school year. It's for this reason exactly. We're teaching the student, in a lot of cases, the strategies to help them with whatever challenges they have, whether they're academic or communication, behavior, any number of different areas. Um, that's the whole point of this process in the in the beginning. And so why not bring the student in as early as possible to yeah. be part of that conversation, whether informally at the younger grades or formally in the older grades? So in the older grades, we talked about actually inviting those 14 to 22 year olds, inviting them to their meeting, having them maybe even prepare something at the beginning, having them write a statement, having them deliver maybe a presentation or a PowerPoint presentation about who they are and what their goals are and what their vision is, et cetera. But what are the tangible ways you might be asking that you can make sure that a a child as young as three or four is a part of that meeting that they're not attending? They're not going to their IEP meeting at three or four years old, but how can you ensure that they're a part of it? I think that one really tangible strategy that I've seen, but not as often as I would like to see, is that the teacher or even the parent brings some samples of Mm. the work that student has done to start the meeting, right? Let's show what they've done, whether it's uh, something they've written, a picture that they've drawn, maybe an art project, if they're artistically inclined, that's something that interests them to kind of get the conversation going about what the students' strengths are, what they like to do in class every day, what are the activities that they maybe gravitate towards. If you want to kind of ramp that up a little bit, if you're a teacher listening, a thing that you might be able to do or want to do before an IEP meeting that's pretty simple but um, could make a big impact is actually ask that child to draw yourself, draw yourself doing something Mm. that you like doing or draw yourself doing a job that you might want to do in the future or draw yourself while you're at home with your family or with your friends doing something that you enjoy. And that might be a good starting spot as well for a child who's really young and might not be able to obviously attend their meeting, but a good way to get them included right from the beginning. Um, We have parents who bring photographs of their kids to IEP Mm. meetings um, to kind of show, right, really illustrate, here's what they do when they're at home with us. Here are the activities they like to do. Here are their friends that they're playing with or maybe siblings. Um, So really personalizing it from the beginning, making sure that we're developing the IEP, that the whole team is developing the IEP around that child's individual needs, their voice, what they want, what they enjoy doing. Yeah, I love that idea of having a photograph or um, a couple of photographs to show 
you know, examples, um, including, and also the work samples. I'm even thinking it might be beneficial to do a video recording or an audio recording of the mm -hmm. student speaking, talking about what they like to do and how they like to do things. And even to hear from them what they might think that they have some trouble doing, right? Or things that they think are helpful for them. And yeah. these are, again, different ways of expressing, like not everything has to be written, right? Yeah. Um, and I think in the traditional school sense, we're always like, oh, well, if they can't write out their information, then it's, you know, not it's not as valid, but being able to express in a variety of different ways are all valid ways of communicating, whatever that looks like for the student. And we'll dig into some of that <laughs> in part five a little bit more, but I think that that makes a really good kind of segue into part five, because when we're thinking about younger students who maybe don't have the, um, literacy skills, the reading and writing skills quite yet, um, they're being able to express in drawings or um, pointing or whatever are all also valid ways of expressing. Um, and we should be respectful of mm -hmm. um, that way of communicating, right? And like Michelle said, in the next part, which is actually our last part, we talk about students at all ages, um, from three all the way up to 22, who might have difficulty participating in their IEP meeting for any number of different reasons. And like Michelle said, that could be communication, that could be uh, behavioral, that could be any number of different reasons that would make it difficult. Um, social emotional for a child to be that involved in their meeting and that involved in the process. We have some tips and strategies next week for you to kind of implement for that specific group of students for whom um, particip participating may be more of, of a challenge. Um, and so with that takeaway, let's give folks one takeaway, something that they can do right away with three and four and five-year-olds all the way up to, like we said, maybe fourth graders or so. Michelle, what's one takeaway that we can have people implement kind of right, right now? Uh, I think the biggest takeaway is that students as young as three have interests, have opinions, have likes, have dislikes, have, um, they know what they like and they know what they don't like, right? Um, so providing an opportunity for students in whatever way is the best way for them to express that um, gives them autonomy and then also gives them that opportunity to have voice in their educational process. And it doesn't need to be this big formal, we're going to sit down and talk about your student strengths, interests, and vision statement for your IEP. It can be a more casual interactive sort of conversation where you're gathering some information and then bringing it to the team for that child um, to give their voice in that meeting. Awesome. Excellent. Yeah. Yay. Well, thank you so much, everybody, for joining us up to this point. This was part four. If you have not, go back and listen to the first three parts as well. And we will finish up next week with part five of our series on student voice. In the meantime, Yay. as always, reach out to us if you have any questions, if you want to schedule a free consultation with us, 
and find us through email on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, everywhere. All the places. All the places. We're everywhere. <laughs> we love hearing from you. So, so reach out to us and we look forward to our final conversation in this series next Friday. Thanks, everyone. Yay. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode. We hope that what you just heard is easy for you to understand and you are able to go ahead and implement it and take action right away. We always love to hear from you and how things worked out for you or what questions you have. Please email us at empoweredtoadvocate at gmail.com or visit us at empoweredtoadvocate.com and schedule your 20-minute consult with us today so we can find out how we can best support you to best support your child. See you next week. Listening to our podcast or participating in one of our live webinars or sessions, you acknowledge that Empowered to Advocate provide thoughtful, comprehensive, and data-driven coaching and advice. By participating, you understand that this service is not legal advice, nor does it constitute legal services. It is understood that E2A is serving in the role of coach and consultant to you on your child's behalf. In participating or listening, the parent or caregiver understands that there are no guarantees of success in obtaining the outcome desired by the parent or caregiver. The parent or caregiver agrees to hold Empowered to Advocate and any coaches working with them harmless with regard to the outcome of meetings, services, hearings, etc.